Christmas this year. And there's four parts to that conspiracy. The first one we talked about last week is loving all. The second one is spending less so that we can, thirdly, give more. And in that way, after we've come through this entire Christmas season, we'll be able to look back and say we, we kept Christ at the center of Christmas. And a big part of the Christmas story uh, that figures into this conspiracy, as we're going to see this morning, is the story of the three wise men. Uh, the three wise men are, you, you know, you've seen thousands, of, you, you've probably, there are thousands of plays that take place in churches across this country every year where three kids are found and put on their, they're put on a, you know, a fake beard, they find a bathrobe from dad and mom at the house, and we have these great Christmas pageants with the three wise men, men represented. I don't know how accurate of a representation that is. It's fun to watch, that's for sure. But the, the three wise men were really the elite scientists and scholars in, Asia, in, in ancient Persia. They had studied the prophecies of the Savior King to be born. And they traveled a thousand miles from, from Persia to Bethlehem to worship Jesus with the presentation of their three gifts. And Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, spells it out this way. This is what happened. On coming into the house, the wise men saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh. Now, when they gave those gifts that day, they had no clue how much impact their gifts were going to have upon the family of Jesus because when they came looking for Jesus, the first place they went was they went to the palace in Jerusalem. But they didn't find Jesus at the palace because the family into which Jesus was born, the family into which the Savior of the world was born, was a poor family. And we know they were poor because after Jesus was born, our historian Luke tells us in chapter 2, that they took the option that was extended to the poorer families among the people of Israel. Instead of taking the more expensive lamb as a sacrifice uh, that would accompany the dedication of their son, they went and bought the two more bargain-priced turtle doves and took them as their offering. So by all standards, and certainly by the standards of today, the family of Jesus was below the poverty line. Now, we might ask the question, why? Was it irresponsibility on Joseph's part? Didn't Joseph take responsibility for his family? Or or did Joseph lack initiative to go out there and really scratch out a living? Did Mary and Joseph have bad spending habits? Did they not know how to manage their money? Well, from what we know of Joseph, none of those things was true. Because Matthew chapter 1, verse 19 Scripture's own statement says Joseph was a man of honor and integrity. That means he was a man who took responsibility serious. He was a hard-working carpenter who built stuff that didn't fall apart, built stuff that lasts. It was good stuff. And so Jesus' family was not poor because of any issues of irresponsibility on their part. Now, there were poor people in Jesus' time who were poor for those negative kinds of reasons, of irresponsibility. But there were far more poor people in the society of Jesus' time 
because of circumstances that were beyond their control, such as Roman oppression, heavy taxes. And the facts are that the great majority of people in our world today who are destitute and struggling to make ends meet, both in our own country and in the nations of the world, they are poor due to the circumstances they face that are beyond their control. That doesn't mean that there are not many who are poor in our world today and some of the root problems would be irresponsibility. But the great majority of people in our world today, just like Jesus' day, struggle in poverty and ability to make ends meet because of circumstances beyond their control. Pastor Timothy Keller, great pastor in New York City, wrote a book recently called Generous Justice. And I would encourage every Bible-believing follower of Jesus Christ to pick up this book and take a look at it. Uh, he goes through the entire Old Testament and New Testament, and he, takes, he makes note of all the different reasons in biblical times people were struggling with poverty. And some of the things he found, finds in his list are, of course, economic crises that occurred from time to time. There were things like judicial systems in society weighed in favor of the powerful. There were loans offered with excessive interest. There were unjust low wages. There were oppressive structures that became embedded in societies that kept industrial, entrepreneurial kind of people, people with gifts and skills, locked into the struggle. And then on top of all that, there are natural disasters, there are famines, there are hurricanes, as we well know, and tornadoes, there are fires, there are disabling injuries, there is the death of the breadwinner, there are losses of jobs that were unplanned. All of those kinds of things. In my own childhood, my dad was a welder in a steel plant for 35 years. And around 1959, 1960, in that neighborhood, short, about a year after dad and mom became Christians, uh, he got laid off, and it was a long-duration layoff for him. My, my dad was a really hard worker. And so he found things to do on the side during those months that he was laid off. He cut pulpwood. He got into use, selling used cars, and uh, he did welding on the side. But I, I do remember dad and mom being really concerned and struggling with how are we going to make ends meet. I know that a few times there was not enough money for Art and Gary and I to get, our, to get haircuts. And my baseball coach happened to be a barber as well, Russ Leary. Had a great shop in Titusville, Pennsylvania. And there were a few times when Russ, who knew of our situation, he just cut our hair uh, out of grace uh, to keep us, looking, <laughs> keep us looking halfway decent, I guess. Uh, I remember Dad, or my mom anyway, standing in line in Titusville getting powdered milk and eggs from a food bank. But, but it wasn't for lack of responsibility. It was because of the situations and circumstances that came crashing in. Now, that's why in the Scripture, and you'd be surprised the number of places in the Scripture. I'm just going to cite two. But this, these are the kinds of things the Scripture says about God's attitude toward the poor. Psalm 146, verses 7 through 9. God upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. 
The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien or the foreigner. He sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. And then from Proverbs chapter 31, verses 8 and 9, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And so the family of Jesus was definitely in this category of circumstantial poverty. And their circumstances were about to get even worse. They were about to go over a physical cliff. And isn't it strange this Christmas we have two countdowns going on? We have a countdown to Christmas, at, what is it, 20, see, 15 days or 16 days till Christmas now? But we also have about 20 days till the fiscal cliff, right? <laughs> okay, well, we, this is what happened to the, to the first family of Christianity, Joseph, Jesus, Jesus, and Mary. They went over a fiscal cliff. The story goes like this. King Herod, as you know, was the ruler of Judea at that time. He heard the rumors that a new king had been born. And so he put out an order to kill all the baby boys two years old and under in the vicinity of Bethlehem. And Joseph and Mary, to escape this, they fled to the nation of Egypt. And so the first Christmas story becomes the story, really, of a refugee family. Overnight, Joseph and Mary had to flee with nothing but the clothes on their backs. No job, no house, no support system, no food. They were destitute. And you've seen TV coverage lots of times of they'll send their newscasts, their anchors into refugee situations that, ha- that pop up in our world. And the cameras will sc- scan the crowds of destitute people. And a lot of times you'll see a mother clutching their child. You'll see, uh, you look into the faces of people, they look hopeless, their eyes are empty, there's desperation written over the faces of all those people. If CNN would have been on hand at this scene in the first century to go into Egypt and scan the faces of refugees, the three faces of Joseph, Mary, and Jesus would have been in the refugee camp. Mary, so Mary's probably saying to Joseph, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed our son? How are we going to clothe him? Where are we going to live? Where are you going to get a job? What are you going to do? And how did they survive during that time in Egypt? Well, it's not spelled out clearly in the Scripture, but I think a clear deduction from Scripture is that it was the wise men's carefully planned, sacrificial, generous, intentional giving that ended up carrying the family of Jesus, through their time of great need. Uh, The wise men are really the first example of Advent conspiracy because they made a plan to give sacrificially. They set aside gifts to give that would end up making a greater difference than they could ever have imagined their gifts to have made. Gifts that ended up providing the Christ child, the King, the Savior of the world, in his first year or two, with the clothes, the food, the shelter that he needed at that time. You know, that the Christmas story of Jesus' birth into the world would turn into a refugee story 
shouldn't surprise us. Because Jesus, after all, he came into the world to identify with people at all levels and all extremes of suffering and sorrow. And what really drives that point home is the place where Jesus' family became refugees. Because in the memory of every Jewish person, Egypt was the place uh, of Israel's horrible slavery and abuse centuries before. From the years about 1800 B.C. to 1400 B.C., 400 years, the people of Israel endured a horrible, horrible time of slavery in Egypt. and, And when they looked back through all of history, and the Old Testament represents this over and over again, Egypt represented the most extreme place of their poverty, their sorrow, their grief, their circumstances, their loss as a nation. And here it is. No sooner is Jesus born than where does the Savior, the Son of God, who came into the world, where does he end up? Where does he go? He's carried by his parents right back to that horrible place in the memory of the people of Israel, back to the place of their most intense pain. That's why Jesus came into the world, isn't it? And the message to you and me this morning is this, that Jesus has entered into your sufferings. Isn't that, I mean, our sufferings are not good news, right? I think we'd all want to trade those sufferings away if we could. But here is good news in the midst of the sufferings. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, God of this universe, God Almighty, at this very moment in your life, in whatever you are suffering, He, with all of His love and grace, He's come into that place of suffering with you. And He is there to be your Savior. He's there to be your Redeemer, your Healer, your Restorer, the one who gives you strength, the one who gives you hope, the one who gives you courage to help you walk through and guide you through that place. There was a day when Jesus... The family came back out of Egypt. And you know what? There's a day in whatever your Egypt is this morning. That day is coming when Jesus Christ the Savior, he will lead you out of your Egypt too. That's good news. I think it's pretty amazing how God plans things behind the scenes that we don't don't know about. Here a thousand miles away, before before the, the family went down into Egypt, before the physical cliff struck them. Uh, A thousand miles away, behind the scenes, there's three uh, Persian wise men, three Persian scholars who had read the prophecies of the Old Testament about the birth of a king in Israel. Uh, And God was going to use them and their gifts to meet this need. And I want to tell you this this morning. That the God who knows all your circumstances and who is above all your circumstances, he has a plan and a purpose. He has three wise men or maybe four or half a dozen or women. He has, in other words, he has all the right people and all the right resources. If you will trust him, he has all those things he's going to bring into your life at just the right time, just as he did for the first family. And that's the message. That's, That's an important message that you and I have this morning. And it is really true that God identifies with those that are oppressed. God identifies with those that are dealing with 
poverty or whatever the suffering might happen to be. And you know, Jesus knows exactly what it feels like to be one of these young families that we are all together going to be helping this year who receive the ministries and the counsel and the encouragement from the Southside Crisis Pregnancy Center that's located over there in Oak Lawn. They've been carrying this ministry out now for 26 years, and here's what their, their, theme, their, uh, their mission is, is to help, uh, those who have been effect- to help and give hope to those affected by unplanned pregnancies. And so what happens there, there's, these, there's a group of volunteers, trained volunteers at this pregnancy center Whenever a couple come in in that crisis, or, or, an, or a mom comes in in that crisis, they are there from the moment of the conception through the pregnancy and beyond the birth of that child, right on into the preschool years to walk alongside and to help them with counsel and to help provide practical, the, the practical things that they probably are not in a position to supply themselves. And um, so, uh, all because of God's mercy and because there is a priceless and precious young child that's on the way who is going to be who's going to need cared for and the and there's probably there may not be anyone to meet those needs except there be some modern day <clears throat> wise men and wise women who have also sat down and decided that worshiping Jesus still means giving from the heart and so your gifts will also have, like the wise men's gifts, an impact far beyond what you can imagine. Let me point this out as clearly as I can. Here's a box of Huggies. (laughs) Uh, This very box of Huggies that one of you supplied is going to be wrapped around the bottom (laughs) of a little child in a few weeks from now. Isn't that great? Diapers are great, <laughs> okay, for more reasons than one, I guess. But, uh, and then uh, we have, you know, there's going to be a little girl. I think this is pink, right? Or is that orange? <laughs> I'm a little colorblind. But, uh, but there's going to be a little child in a few weeks. These clothes are going to be wrapped around that little child. You supplied that. Uh, your giving has impact Beyond, beyond what you think it does. That's how God takes these things. And uh, so, God bless you as you give. And you know, that's more than an Advent conspiracy, isn't it? More than something we do at Christmas. It really is this conspiracy against the horror and hurt of this world. It's a conspiracy of love and compassion that Jesus Christ started when he came into the world and called his followers to show through their sacrificial living and their sacrificial giving, to show this world the very heart of God. That God really does care for the oppressed. And Jesus doesn't just care for us at Christmas time, but he cares for us every day. And that's our calling too, isn't it? So the wise men's gifts met the material needs of Jesus' family, for sure. But their gifts also went further than just those material needs. Each of their gifts carried deep symbolism, reflecting the three main things 
about Jesus Christ and the salvation that he came to bring into the world to meet the deeper needs of the heart, the spiritual needs. The gold that was given, uh, gold was something that was given to kings. And the three wise men, the magi, as they were also known, they knew all about this. Because in their society, magi were the kingmakers. They were the elite group of counselors, men of science and learning, the, the political advisors of that society. And there was no king of Persia that was chosen in those ancient days except by the magi. So these three wise men were part of the kingmakers in that society. And I think it's pretty significant that when they read the prophecies about a new kind of king and a greater kind of king that was coming into the world, the king of kings and the lord of lords, the savior of the world, no wonder they were excited to get up and get on their camels and, and go a thousand miles to bestow gifts and worship upon this greatest of all kings. The second gift they give says something else about Christ. Frankincense. Frankincense is a fragrant, gelatin-like, gum-like resin that was used by priests to burn as incense. And whenever those priests would burn that incense, it was representative of their prayers on behalf of the people. Jesus is the priest who came into the world to identify with our needs, the needs of all people, and to lift those needs up to God. And then the third gift is the gift of myrrh. Now, myrrh was an oil that was used to anoint the dead. It's a strange, maybe sort of a depressing gift that they would have given to Jesus at his birth, in his early years, something that represents the anointing of those who are dead. But you know what? They were wise beyond what they understood because they, they were really showing right off the bat, that this Savior came into the world to die for the sins of all humanity, yours and mine, so we could receive forgiveness and salvation. So the gifts of the wise men show us that Jesus cares about the physical needs of people very, very much, and he calls his church to care very, very much. But that going beyond that, he cares even more about the spiritual poverty of people who try to live their lives without him. And if there's anyone here this morning who is trying to live, you're trying to live your life without Jesus Christ at the center, well, that is spiritual poverty. It, cannot, it can't succeed. It, it won't work. And the promise of Jesus Christ to every person in this room today He is here for you. He is in this room. He's closer to us than than the, the, the air that we're breathing. He is in this room. And if you will open your heart to him, invite him to come into your life today, that's exactly what he will do. He will reveal himself to you if you'll open your heart to him. And then you can have the greatest riches of all. The greatest riches of all are the presence, is the presence of God living inside. So now I want to close this morning uh, this way. <clears throat> Who are the wise men and the wise women in the world today? Well, I believe they are Christ followers, the followers of Jesus Christ. 
those who are coming to him with worship, just like those three wise men did. Now, when we come to the Lord today, we, don't, we come not only with worship, but just as they did, we come giving, with a giving heart. Uh, we don't any longer give gold and frankincense and myrrh, and I doubt that when the, when the offerings received today, there will be any of those items <laughs> in the offering basket. But it is still true that when we worship Jesus by giving sacrificially, our gifts will do the very same two things that the gifts of the wise men did. Their gifts funded the ministry that met the physical needs of Jesus and his family. And those funds also enabled the message of the Savior that meets the deepest of all needs, our spiritual needs. That message to be to get out into the minds and hearts and, and ears of other people. So I want to thank this Calvary family this morning for the generosity and faithfulness that is characteristic of this congregation. Not, not just in the giving of your gifts, but in, even more, in the giving of your lives and your hearts, yourselves, your hearts, to serve the needs of other people. I am grateful for this congregation. And I want to, uh, you know, giving changes our hearts. It's one of the most profound powers that, that will transform our lives. And I want to come back to that childhood story that I talked about a little bit earlier. During those days after my dad lost his job, 1959, 1960, that area, that era, and during the desperation of those times as a family, uh, we sort of had this dream that we started to talk to dad and mom about, worked on it together as a family, and that was this dream of starting a farm on our property. Now, my dad owned 110 acres in northwestern Pennsylvania, lots of fields, some of it was wooded. My dad had grown up on a farm, so he knew all about farming. And so we had this, this idea that we were going to grow our own food, we were going to be self-sufficient, and we were just going to have the Nichols family farm. We were, so we started a farm fund, and Art and Gary and I, my two sisters, uh, well, one of them had just been born, so she wasn't really in on this, but the three boys, man, we were really in on this. I think I was about yeah, 11 or 12 and then down the line there. But uh, we started putting our quarters and our dimes into it. It's funny, you know, when you go around all the furniture in your house and you reach down under the cushions, and, and, and we had linoleum. If you even reached under the edges of the linoleum, you could find all kinds of money. <laughs> That's what we did. We put all of our dimes and quarters and saved it in this old cigar box. Um, Dad took a temporary job that was about 70 miles away in Sharon, Pennsylvania, and he would leave on Sunday afternoon. He didn't get back until about midnight on Friday. And so that whole week he was gone. Art and Gary and I, we would be waiting for midnight Friday for him to get home, and then we would sit up until 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning talking about this farm. The, the dream of this farm. And we had even drawn diagrams of our property. We were into this. We were thinking about how we're going to build the fences. Uh, we're going to get, plow this area. We're going to get some cows. We're going to have to have a tractor or two. Uh, it was a big deal. Up to that point, we had scrounged around and saved $18. And we felt really proud. <laughs> we were well on the way. Uh, but one week came, and I remember 
uh, well, I remember we overheard dad and mom talking. I don't know how we heard about it exactly. But we became aware that uh, the family was short on grocery money. There, there, actually, there literally was not enough money to put food on the table. So, all three of us brothers, with some pain inside, came to the conclusion that it would be okay for dad and mom to take the farm fund money and use it to get groceries. Now, $18 went a lot further than, than it does today. Now, here's the amazing thing I can still remember about that. I can remember the feeling that I had inside when we made that decision to give that money. It was an early experience for me in the joy that comes from giving to a higher purpose, of sacrificing something that is precious to you, and it brings some pain, but I'll tell you what, to gain an even greater joy. And I'll tell you what, 11 years old, it felt good inside. It made me feel more mature than an 11-year-old. And I think probably my brothers felt the same way, to give that money to dad and mom. And uh, we just put the dream aside, well, for a long while. We haven't fulfilled it yet. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and there may be one dream that isn't going to get fulfilled. Um, but I grew by a big jump forward inside. And this Advent conspiracy is just like that. It's another opportunity for you and I to, to grow inside by giving to a deeper purpose, by giving sacrificially. One of the great spiritual growth experiences when, is when more of the heart of God grows in us. And I believe giving is how the heart of God just takes over and dominates our, our heart and our character. And I think that Advent Conspiracy is also a golden opportunity for parents. It's a great teaching moment for parents to get along with their kids, sit down this week and say, you know what, there's some people at that crisis pregnancy center and here's the problem and the situation. You know, we're, we're, we can really help. We can really make a difference. Sit down and talk with the kids. Get the kids involved in giving to a higher purpose. And God will do a change inside their lives too. We'll all grow as we give uh, and reflect the heart of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning <clears throat> for your giving heart. And Lord, that there's so much wrapped up in the story of these three wise men. So much than, than we might re, uh, see just at a, at a quick reading. Oh Lord, help us to emulate them. And I pray that the Spirit of Christ will fill our lives, Lord. Caring about people at the, at the level of their material needs and doing all we can to meet those needs so that their hearts might be open to their even deeper need, to hear the message of the redeeming Savior who will, who will fill their lives and give them meaning. Heavenly Father, help us to be those kind of people, wise men and wise women in our world, O oh Lord, influencing for Christ. Father, uh, I thank you again for the generosity of this church family, Lord, in so many ways. And the way that they are speaking to their neighbors and, and people at work and, and letting their lives bring influence for Christ. Oh, Lord, help us to grow in that even more. And, Father, uh, bless this, this, these specific weeks that we are lifting up to you as worship. These weeks that we call Advent Conspiracy, Lord, trying to overcome materialism so that we can keep Christ at the center of everything. 
Bless these efforts, Lord. And Lord, we give you praise and we pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.